4 p.m., stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L.D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Something happened, I guess, just yesterday. I'm sitting in this program listening to different people share about the history of music. That's what it's supposed to be about, right? And the storyline of how the Africans have impacted the world of music and so many other things, too. So I heard this. So I was guest here today who is our brother, Fred Johnson. Welcome to Count Time, Fred. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I noticed that it was a, it was a spur of the moment. Yeah, spur of the moment. <laughs> and he agreed to do this podcast because we up here at his office in New Orleans, Louisiana. Yes, sir. And uh, I know you are so, so full of insight, knowledge, well-read. Uh, so, but first, just give us a little brief history of Fred Johnson. All right, brother. Um, as you said, my name is Fred Johnson. I'm born and reared in New Orleans, Louisiana. You hear that accent, I'm, right? I'm, That's the, New I'm the oldest. <laughs> I'm the oldest of six uh, of of my parents' children. And um, give a little history. What's your mother and father's my, name? My my father. I'm a junior, Fred Joseph Johnson Jr. And my mom is is Eva Johnson. They both deceased. Um, but my dad, uh, my my dad was a fruit peddler in the days when they didn't have good refrigeration. Why do you say peddler? He was a businessman, yeah, huh? Yeah. No, he was a fruit peddler. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh, it's called, he, okay, then. No, he was a fruit peddler, but fruit peddler allowed him to be uh, an independent worker. He worked for himself, and he would go to the French market, which is far gone from what it was. It's the flea market now. It was the French market back then. And um, he would take us to work with him. And we'd go in the market early in the morning. And you had produce coming into the market from all over the world. I mean, California, Florida, Texas, Louisiana. So he would, we would go in the market, load up the truck, and then go in the route and sell the produce, right? Most of his, most of his clientele was was either uh, Russian or German or Italian. Russian yeah, or German. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And uh, I would think uh, more more Italian than anything. And um, well, what kind of produce? You name it. Uh -huh. Okra, squash, cauliflower, cucumbers, bananas, fruit and vegetable, watermelon, cantaloupe. Did he grow these, or he, no, he no. bought them from other? He uh, went to the market, oh, to, the, to the French market, and the French market received it from people from the growers, and you buy it from the French market, and then you go sell it or you use it in your in your house. Okay. Then. Yeah, okay. but it it's it's not that anymore. It's okay. a flea market now, right? So that's what my dad did, um, I, I, you know, and that's where we. That's what he done all your life. You yeah, that's what he did all all of my life until he couldn't do it no more. And in addition to that, he had two other 
uh, habits. He he was a heroin addict and he liked to play cotch. There's a, a outlaw game, a outlaw game here called cotch, and they go in there and they gamble for two, three, four days at a time. Now you got to tell us what is cotch? How, how you say that? Cotch. Cotch. It's it's it's, a, it's an outlaw game that. It seems like only in New Orleans and only in certain parts of New Orleans it, it was played. I don't know the details of it because I never played it, but I know when I, if we couldn't find him and we needed him, we had to go to the Koch house because that's where he was. He was in the Koch house, in the gambling room. But that, those experiences with him is what allowed me to become a man-child at an early age. So um, I grew up with a work ethic. You know what I mean? I had a good work ethic. And as time went along, I began to uh, have a strong appreciation for the, for the uh, culture that we lived in, in terms of the black culture. Uh, what part Mardi of town? In the Seven War. Seven War. Yeah, in the Mardi Gras Indians and the Second Line and that whole thing. And, and as I said yesterday, all of that... Um, I never rode on a bus where you had to sit behind the screen. I heard about it, but by the time I was of the age to ride on the bus, they had taken the screens off the bus. You know what a screen on the bus is? No, what is the screen on the bus? screen on the bus is when you get on the bus or the streetcar, you had to sit behind the screen. So that meant if the screen was 20 seats to the back, you sit in the back and all those 20 seats that was open was for white people to sit down. Oh, all right. Then. It's okay, called then. segregation. Okay, right? then. okay. So I never I never had that experience. Uh but I I experienced the fact that we had white Mardi Gras and black Mardi Gras. So we stood in our neighborhood now, now people don't for know, white Mardi Gras. That's 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 foreign to most people. Because well, they don't. Know. What is Mardi Gras well, without well, without without us in it? So well, what, what was Mike? Mike? Well, it, without us in it, it was white Mardi Gras and black Mardi Gras. When you was a child, they, had, they still had white Mardi Gras. Oh yeah, I mean, well, you gotta understand that's what forced the culture in the black community because you had to create your own culture because the yeah. only reason you was over there in the white Mardi Gras is because you either was a worker bee. Uh, but you wasn't over there celebrating and enjoying it. Okay. That came many, many years later. So as a result of segregation, uh, everything that white people was doing in their communities, black people was doing the same thing. And do it to another level, too. Just right? and do it to another level and do it with a different spin on it. Okay. Right? So we uh, are. Yeah, it had, it had a different kind, of, different kind of soul on it. You know what I mean? But that all ties to the behavior of, of coming out of what made New Orleans the most African city because a lot of people don't know that New Orleans was a heavy slave trade town mm -hmm. right. by being a seaport town, right? A lot of slaves were in here, a lot of slaves were held here, a lot of slaves were sold here. So in the early days, New Orleans city was a small spot and more closer to the river than the rest of the place. So the slaves that were working on the ship, unloading and loading the ships on behalf of the slave owners, um, 
the slave owners understood it was in their best interest to let those slaves go outside the city come Sunday because they were, they, they were not allowed to speak their native tongue and native language inside the city because the, the slave owner didn't know whether or not they were talking to them or against them. And then you got to, if you understand the, the history of, of, of what happened in the slave revolt, um, when that took place over there with Toussaint Overshaw and them, over in Haiti, that set the slave owners in America, their hands kind of caught on fire. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. We got to be careful. Yeah, we got to be careful. Well, in New Orleans, New Orleans is one of the few slaveholding places that still allows slaves to congregate in mass numbers, but they had to do it outside the city. So if you, if you can imagine the city being from the river to Rampart Street, that was the city. So the slaves on Sunday morning can walk, just keep walking until you walk outside the city. And this is how they came up on Congo Square. Oh, so when okay. they got to Congo Square, they saw that was like one block over the city limit. And they began to, to con congregate there. And all up and down the river, slaves would come to that spot, which allowed the African continuity to last. The, the slave owner never understood that or never realized that. But those slaves who came there on the Sunday would be happy to see who's alive, who's dead, you know, sing, laugh, dance, cry, exchange foods. And then when the sun go down, they had to go back into the city. Yeah, just for those hours long? Just for those hours. Before the sun went sun down. Sun up, the sun down. But that allowed uh, a level of, of African continuity like you would not believe. Kung Kungo Square, Kungo Square. Mm -hmm. is the place That's right. of history for us. That's right. Big time. Big, okay. big, big old time. So you don't. So, so what happens is, the slaves leaving outside the city was good for both sides. The slave leaving out the city was good for the slave owner, and it was good for the slaves because they got a chance to resuscitate themselves. When they got back in the city, they were so eager for Sunday, Monday morning to go back to Saturday night. They worked their asses off. Okay, then. So that meant... They had something to look forward to that. Well, they had something to look forward to, but it also raised the profitability of the slave on the spreadsheet because they were, they were working. You see what I'm saying? They've they, they, they been productive. Yeah, it was overly productive because they, what they wanted to know was, what they wanted to do was they, want, they didn't want nothing that would make this dude angry that would stop them from going back to Congo Square. And then every time they went back to Congo Square, that made them become more and in tune and understood, okay, we're in a new land, we're in a new space, but there's some rituals we won't let go. And the more they can get to congregate, the more they can resuscitate those things that they was taken from. 
Well, when you fast forward that and segregation, so what, somewhat what they call cooled off, you still had the, the situation of separate and unequal. So black people didn't have a funeral home. You died, they put you on a cooling board, get you ready, and then they bring you back to your house and the funeral is in the living room. I remember them days. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. And the funeral is in the living room. But in most cases, you were a part of what was called a benevolent society. And the benevolent society, depending on what kind of society you got in, it did multiple things, a variable things, depending on what you paid for. Some of them gave you a funeral, some of them paid your rent, some of them turned your lights on, some of them helped you when you were sick. It just depends on what you were paying into. And that, that, was the, that was the insurance company of the day for uh. black people. Well, as time would have it, white people realized that black people had money. So now we start seeing white men come into our neighborhood selling insurance. And they come in selling five cent policies, 10 cent policies, 15 cent policies. And that took some of the ump out of the benevolent society. Well, those benevolent societies that didn't no longer see the need to be a benevolent society, a lot of them went on to be a social aid and pleasure club. Oh, that's how they get, got all these social aid and pleasure, pleasure clubs and pleasure in New clubs. Orleans. No other place like New Orleans. So, so when you listen to the name of it, it says social aid and pleasure. Aid, okay. See, the aid is in there. So it's some of what happened in the benevolent society, but it's something else added to it. Pleasure, social aid and pleasure. And that pleasure might be everybody get dressed up, they have a ball, and they mimic what they see the white people with a tuxedo and a top hat. and a, Yeah, and then you had some black people who saw the need to put a division they saw what the, what the Italians was doing with a parade, and they mimicked that parade, put a division and a band together, and that is how you got the second line. However, all of this is African reten retentions that came out of Africa. Now, because it started in Congo Square, and those Africans just kept, in some form or fashion, as many aspects of that alive as they can. So when you're looking at a second line, as the young lady said yesterday, and you see these, these, all these dance steps coming down, down the street, it is, it is a free dance, but it is very akin to an African dance, because an African dance is a free dance. You know what I mean? You don't have no, they do, they move the way they want, they roll, they flip, they whatever. You know what I mean? So, but those were the things that black people understood to grasp hold of that would give them some sanity because the rest of what they were doing, especially when they had to relate to white people, and not all white people, but too many of them, it was, it was insane behavior because white back then and even some fools today still think that, you know, we got a tail and we, we made out of something different and, and, and that we not God's children and, you know, we, we got some different makeup 
And when God made man, he made all men alike. You know what I mean? But when people get things in their head, and it comes out of, it comes out of what they're taught because they are, they are of the belief that somebody has to be superior and somebody got to be inferior. Yeah, okay. And if you're darker than me, then you're inferior, which is not a good logic, but at any rate. So my, my growing up in the Seven Ward allowed me to watch and learn and understand some of that African retention through the second line and through the Mardi Gras Indians. Now you was a spy, what you call a spy, spy, spy boy. boy. How, that, how that came about, how you got involved? Well, I, like I said, Tootie Montana was masked. Big Tootie. Big, right. Yeah, Big, Big Chief Tootie. Tootie. He was masked three blocks from my house. And, and as a kid growing up, for Carnival, again, because it's segregated, I mean, you know, you, your parents might buy you a little pair of jeans or whatever, and you might want to be a little cowboy, but as you raise up into your, you know, 10, 11, 11, 12, what's going to make your day is to see the Indians. Why, why was that? Well, because that, that was the highlight of the day. That was showtime. That was the highlight of the day. That yeah. was the most beautifulest thing you're going to see. And then they're singing and they're dancing and they're playing Indian. So you ain't going to see nothing that with that kind of flamboyantness, that kind of activity, that level of energy. I mean, you know, it when depending on where you're at and you see it, not only will you see it, you will end up going with it. It pulls you yeah, in. It pulls you yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. It pulls yeah. you in. I found so, myself walking. Yeah. I, I done gone two miles. Like, oh, I'm going to go Yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. So, and, and that's the other thing about, about New Orleans. When you come in the black community and you get into a, a, a parade, a second line, or you, get, you follow the Indians, all of what we do is a participatory process. You can get in. And participate or you can stand on the side but in most cases where there's a parade there's barricades you stand behind the barricade well they do that for the carnival parades okay. but in the black community when there's a parade no that's a participatory parade and as I said yesterday that is the the psychiatrist the psychiatrist and the, and, the, and the psychoanalyst that we use to reaffirm that we was that we was all right with who we was and that we was good people because everywhere else we was they was telling us we wasn't shit we was black we was dumb was big lip was big nose was big ass was big eyes you ain't worth nothing you, you ain't worth nothing but when you when you got a hold of one of these cultural activities, it resuscitated your soul. And that's why I said yesterday, music is medicinal. See what I'm saying? So if, if an individual know that there's going to be a parade, they get their family dressed, and that parade might be four hours. And four hours, they got a whole route they take, and from place to place, they buy food, they buy sandwiches, they buy drinks. So it's a real festive activity, and you follow that, 
and they get to play hymns, they get to play dirges, they get to play upbeat music. So that gives you an opportunity to have a chance of understanding you are really not who these people say you are, mm. right? And because you don't have money to sit on the sofa with the psychiatrist and talk about how ill-treated you've been, well, you can tie it to this music and a little food and a little libation, and at the end of them four hours, you're like, you know what? I ain't none of that what they say I am. Now, the killing part is, is that when you end up on a Monday having to go to work, these folk can't understand why you so good with you. Yeah, you got a new, li new leaf yeah, all life. Yeah, you, you you, they, they don't understand why you so good with you because they know they, didn't, they, they talk to you bad, they treat you bad, you know what I mean? They handle you bad uh, because, again, in their brain, they're superior and you're inferior. So the, 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 uh, the cultural aspect of Congo Square created a level of Africanism in America like no other city in America. And to and this day, that to exists. To this day. And, and, and to this day, all of the educational institutions at every level has done everything they could and everything in, within their power to make certain that that's not available for you to read, study, and understand, mm -hmm. right? So that tells you the power of it. And, you know, but again, it's as you grow and you become exposed, you begin to understand nobody's going to build a system that they don't control. Now, mm -hmm. the issue is with the system that they built, Everybody know that 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 system got built on the backs of poor free, people, black free, people, free labor, yeah, yeah. free labor, yeah. Well, I mean that's what the whole thing is always about. Can you imagine having a hundred people working and you don't have to pay them? Do you know how much money you gonna make? Yeah. So, so New Orleans, you know, not making New Orleans better than any place else, but New Orleans has a, a different set of circumstances. When I go back to Congo Square and I go back to the Haitian Revolution, when that took place, history will show you that everywhere where slaves was being held, the, the, the noose got tighter. In other words, if, if Sunday came and the slaves wanted to worship, they wouldn't let them congregate in mass numbers outside of New Orleans. They had, in, in the Carolinas, they had places what were called a worship house. Worship house be like up on a levee or back at the back of the plantation. And two or three slaves can go in that worship house at one time. But in New Orleans, on Sunday, they came from the river from Poland Avenue all the way up to Nashville, all the way up. And they made their way to Congo Square, which meant they congregated. What came out of that was African contention in New Orleans like you would not believe. It was plus a spiritual uplifting. Hey, you put 300, two, three hundred of us together on a Sunday for six hours, yo, we get a lot done. A lot done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it gets to it gets to recertify for those people that's been stolen that yeah, we here, 
So-and-so didn't make it, but we here. Because, you know, a lot of folk didn't make it to the middle passageway, right? Some of us just said, no, I'm a, I ain't going. I, I ain't going. But that allowed something to happen in New Orleans that the slave owners would have never figured out. The slaves wouldn't have never figured out because it happened. It wasn't planned. It happened. The slave owner thought he was doing himself a justice, and he was, because the fact that he let them go out the city on a Sunday energized them come Monday morning to work their asses off, which meant that they were doing what, rather than, rather than them doing eight hours of work, they was doing 16 hours of work inside of eight hours, or 10 hours inside of 20 hours inside of 10, which meant that the slave owners was making more money. So they had no reason not to let you go come Sunday morning. But, but New Orleans have a uniqueness in so many ways because, like I say, it was a trading port for enslaved people, so you had a whole diverse culture right. of different tribes. That's right. Even from different countries. Some That's of them, right. You know, they spoke the native language. They, now you got the, some of them spoke French coming mm -hmm. out of Haiti. Yeah. Even some spoke Spanish. Yeah. And the native people right. was still here. The, the, the native Indians. The native was here. Well, so, well, that, so that brings us to that brings us to the Mardi Gras Indian, okay. because when segregation was somewhat supposed to be not in existence, but still in existence, you know, white white men didn't want black men walking on the sidewalk with them. White men didn't want black men to look at them in the eyes when they talk to them. You had to look at the ground. And periodically, you would get some black men to say, you know what, today is a good day to die. I ain't doing none of that. I ain't getting off the sidewalk, and I'm going to look at you like the man you are, like the man I am. And then the white folk felt like, okay, we need to whip this nigga, or we need to lynch this nigga. Well, the black man knew that. He couldn't stay there. You know what I mean? So when he would run, he'd run to the Indian reservation. Well, the slave owner, the white man, he ain't going on that reservation. And of course, wherever you put us, we're going to cohabitate. So in that course of being there, running from the white man so we don't get whipped or lynched, when it's time to come back or decide to come back, we come back and find Mardi Gras going on. Well, what the hell is Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras is something they created that you get to mimic uh, somebody you like or somebody you don't like or you get to make mockery of them or you, you put on something you always thought you wanted to be or be like. Oh, so, so that's what Mardi Gras was about? Well, that's what it is. When you look at Mardi Gras right now, that's what it is. You, you, it's imitating it's that, imi yeah. that which you like, dislike. or Right. It, it could be... It could be it could be far against. You know what I mean? It just depends. I, I never looked at it like that. Yeah. So. so but, but Mardi Gras has nothing to do with the Indian. I mean, the I mean, Native Indian. The Native Indian. No. Yeah. The, the, the Mardi Gras got, the, the Indians came into play because the guys that wouldn't bow down to the white man ran to the Indian reservation. When those guys decided to come back, they came back and found that they were having Mardi Gras. You had to make a choice about 
whether you want to participate in Mardi Gras or whether you just want to stay your civilian self. Well, the guys who went to the Indian reservation, but they decided they was going to mimic the native Indians. So they, they began to make a suit that looked like the native Indian, a costume that looked like the native Indian. Oh, that's how they come about. That's how they come okay, about. Okay. Uh, Maurice Martinez, called the Black Indian. Google it up, pull it up. God bless him, he just died a couple of months ago. Oh. But it gives you the whole breakdown of all the native Indians, the Choctaw tribe, and all the different tribes. But once those white men told that black man, that black man told that white man, I'm gonna look you in your face, and I'm gonna tell you how, how I feel, and I'm not getting off the sidewalk. So if you coming that way, I'm coming this way, they want you to get off the sidewalk and let them pass. Well, you know, some days you ain't for that shit, right? <laughs> and today is the day. And this is how these guys, that's how, that is how the black Indian got injected into Mardi Gras. Well, those guys back then, we all are creatures of what we're exposed to. So they look at the, the native Indians and it's wherever you put us, we can copy stuff. So they made a suit that looked like that. And then as time went along, as we got out of the 20s and 30s and 40s and got into the 50s, then you had people like Allison Tootie Montana who came along and made, took the Indian suit, took the native Indian suit and made it into something that looked more of an African motif. And then everybody stopped making a suit that looked like the native Indian. So, so Tootie Mantano took it to the whole nother level. Yes, he did. He the one made the suit more stylish. Elaborate. Elaborate, yes. yes. He, he, he elaborated um, on rhinestone, it. Rhinestone, diamonds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he elaborated on it to no end. And if you get to look at that movie that I just discussed, just mentioned rather, you see in detail, the, the movie is very detailed about what happened, and Maurice, to his credit, did a superb job of the research, right? So, so that's how you get to that's how you get to the Mardi Gras Indians. So, but both of these things are Congo, are Congo Square related because they all tie in. Now, the interesting thing is, the slave owners let the slaves out on Sundays. Every parade second line that's given is on a Sunday, right? Mardi Gras is on a Tuesday, but the Indian practices is on a Sunday. Okay, why is that? Congo Square. Oh, this the same concept. Congo Square. Never stop. Mm -mm. And that's why I keep saying that's, that's where the African contention comes in. And when you get in the Indian practice, you see Congo Square all over again. Now, as, a, as a young boy, did you go to Congo Square? I mean, because for the most part, there was, a there was a store that sold supplies called Greenbury. And Greenbury was right on Rampart Street. Across from Greenbury was Congo Square. But, you know, it wasn't, they didn't make a big deal about it. And it was only people who could, only people who understood the historical perspective of it that could tie that together. Because you got to understand 
Nobody is teaching this. Historical. So, so you you got to be able to so, do your research people, and people, be around people in, in a lot of cases. But Fred, you're telling me this system made conscious efforts to hold back information that's so simple that can be exposed, that, to let people know about how certain things well, came about. But, Just as it relates to us, that's, that's the reason why they do it. Well, but but listen, again, let's 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 be clear about this. I'm not going to build a system that I'm going to let the system turn on me. Not back then and not now. What is the main issue they got in the schools now? What they say? Take certain books. They want certain books to come out because they don't want their children to feel like they was responsible for slavery. They don't want the story even told. Or they do it. They make a conscious effort not to tell. Well, them. that's the same conscious effort. It's not a different conscious effort. No, no. They they want the story told, but from their only their perspective. That's not the story. That's not the story. The story is what the story is. However it happened, that's how it is. You did this. He did that. She did this. We did that. They did this. They did that. That's what happened. But when you start taking what you did out and put what somebody else did in, and now you just lied about the historical context. And what they're doing now is, is, is the same thing they did back then. Now, rather than them say anything back then, they just didn't do it. Now, henceforth, they're saying, we don't want it in there. Back then, they just didn't do it. And if you wasn't around somebody who could orally give you the history, then you didn't get it. You had to be around somebody who understood that and was able to convey that to you. So you, you wasn't going to get it. Depending on if, if he was in a strong Baptist church, you should have gotten that, depending on the politics of the preacher. But in a schoolhouse, unless you had a real strong black teacher, you might have got some of it, but it was going to be an oral concept of it. It was not in the book. When the history book was made, that ain't the kind of history they, they created because in, in order for that history to be constructed in that book, now you got to tell what you did and what you did to somebody else. That somebody else is us. Well, that's the issue we got today. They don't want the story to be talked about to their children because now their children have the capacity to ask them, well, why y'all did that? And that's what they don't, they don't want to regurgitate that. They want to delete, like on the computer. They want to press delete. It, it didn't happen. Yeah. It didn't happen. But Congo Square created uh, a level of African contention like you would not believe. Like you would not believe. Now, now, Bar now, none. What, what, what years do Africa, uh, Congo Square goes, goes back? Oh, it's you go back 18 go back just just go back it, it it's it's documented but it's not documented where you going to walk right in and pick it up no, right. but it's documented get, but now let's get back to you how you got involved because you was a little boy yeah i, I did, got i got I involved did work in this hustling I, for, I, take I, care of your family well i got i got involved because shit it was all around me you know what I mean? And, and, and it, it's a kind of thing whereby, as I said yesterday, 
It's not something somebody can encourage you to do. It's something you get like a silent click and you be like, damn, I got to do this. You can feel it. I got to do this. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Demetrius White, he masked um, and it was the St. Joseph night because they wore the suit back then on the Mardi Gras day and then they wore it on the St. Joseph night. So and he lived next door to me. And I don't know, I could have been 10, 11 that night when he had that white suit on. I'm like, damn, I got to do this. <laughs> that drew you. Yeah, I got to do this. <laughs> I mean, I'm but... Looking at the feathers and the marabou and, you know, and you're looking at this and, 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 and all of the ritual that go with it, it's, it's overpowering. You're like, damn, man, I got to do this. I, okay. I kept a little grocery store job right across the street. So, you know, I wasn't completely um, without money. So I, I had a little job. But it wasn't much, but I knew that night, I was, the next year I was masking Indian. So there was a guy in my neighborhood named Melvin Reed who masked and, and he helped a lot of us. So I went and talked to Melvin. I said, man, I want a mask. Oh, Melvin had to be in his late 20s. Oh, okay. Yeah, then. married, children. He said, you know how to sew? I said, I can learn. So he gave me some cardboard and some sequins and beads. I started sewing. I started on this suit, I want the mask and butterflies, because you always have a theme. And I wanted the mask in black and yellow butterflies. Why, why butterfly? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just the beauty of the butterfly. The beauty of the butterfly, because, you know, they did butterflies, they did bees, they did cherry, chariots, they did all sorts of things. You know what I mean? I mean, it just however creative you could be. But what happened was I started sewing and uh, they never could get the yellow, yellow sequins in. And time was passing, so I shift to white. So the first suit I made was black and white. And I think, I want to say I had just turned, might have been 12. I might have been 11 making 12. It was either 11 making 12 or 12 making 13. Yeah, yeah. It was the first year I, I masked from that print on. I ended up masking 17 years. I had plenty of fun. I had plenty of fun. It was a good thing. And then I had, I had uncles who masked, you know what I mean? Early in the early, my aunt and my uncle masked. My aunt was, in the early days, was Tootie Montana's queen. And my uncle ran Spy Boy, but that was a different time. They, they masked, they had, you might hear him sing the song about two big shiny pistols. Well, that's the kind of time they're masking. You yeah, know? They, were, they were shooting yeah, each other. They, yeah, they? they'd meet up and they'd shoot. And I mean, what that, that that's that, that, I read about that mm -hmm. years ago, and that is true. They would they would show up, and people would get killed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it was it was it was a combination of things. It was it was beef. They were having beef about one thing or another. And it was reputational, you know what I mean? So you had to represent the front of your game. I mean, but you going out there on a, in, to enjoy a day and not well, know they're going to come back alive. Now, now you, got, you got to understand. Well, that was the whole thing about it's like going to the war. You may go, you, you know what I mean? You go and fight for something. You may know what it's about. You may not know what it's about. But the issue is, is are you going to get back or are you not? Well, in the Mardi Gras Indian game, the issue was, hey, 
you're going to do everything you can to protect the front of that, the front of that gang, and you're going to do everything you can that you get back. So what that means is the first thing move you shoot. Now, how long did that last? Too long. Two, it was it was it was it was the likes of Tootie Montana who came along and pushed that negativity out and brought in we're gonna have competition, we're gonna have competition about how pretty the suit is. So he brought it to another level. Oh, okay. They yeah. So, so Tootie right. Montana and, and then you got and then you gotta understand I don't wanna take this out of context here. You gotta understand the lack of technology they had then. So the police couldn't get around like that. You're talking about in the early 40s and 30s, they didn't have no, you know what I mean? They didn't have that kind of technology where they, 20 of them could show up in, in, in 10, 15 minutes. So, you know, time, as time went along and technology got to be more sophisticated, then that also helped break up the fight thing, because you can't have no gunplay, and you know police might be a block away, might be two blocks away. So not only do you, not only do you don't want to have the gunplay, because you don't want to go to jail. So as time went along, then that helped simmer that down. The the deal was was to take it. Uh, as far away from that as possible. So then when Tudor came along, he made the, the, the elaboration, the beauty, and the culture, the style, you know, flamboyancy. Let, let, let's just show who we are as a people. Show your right. artistic value. Yeah. And <clears throat> so that's, that's how you came on board with Tootie? How, how did that happen? Well, Tootie, in most cases, you want a mask in a tribe that's in your neighborhood. So he was in my neighborhood. So that was easy. You know what I mean? There wasn't no other tribe in that neighborhood. What, what was the name of y'all tribe? Yellow Pocahontas. Oh, okay. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I mean from from St. Bernard to Elysian Fields and from St. Claude to Claiborne, there wasn't another tribe in that. You know what I mean? No, not okay. up in there. Now, how many tribes are, are there or were there at that time? They come and go. Could, could have been anywhere between 36 and 50. That just, many? just depends. Yeah, it, it ebbs and flows. Even today, it ebbs and flows, you know what I mean? And the, the thing about Tootie's tribe is, is when I was masking with him, it was a big tribe. You, you'd have 20, 24, 28 people in the tribe, easy. You know, sometimes now you see guys, they got two or three, three or four. 24, 20 guys who are masking. Right. Spy boys, flag boys, wild men. Now, now you got to tell us. First chief. What role each one of those people play? Well. Start, start with the. With the, with the, the wild the, man is the one who runs out in front of the gang, way out in front of the gang. Well, let me rephrase that. Wild man is supposed to run way out in front of the gang. But the wild man, depending on how the gang is structured. In most cases, my job as a spy boy was to stay out in front of the chief and look for another tribe. When I see that other tribe, that means he get ready to meet that other tribe. So I send the signal 
to the flag boy. The flag boy will get it to the chief. Uh, and what the purpose? What the flag boy do? The, the the flag boy is the one who's supposed to carry a flag with the gang name on it. Okay. So you know what gang that is. Okay. Right. And he can also now, now, now use the word gang and yeah, tribe. Yeah. Interchangeable. Okay. G N G and T R I B E tribe. Okay. Tribe of Indians, a gang of Indians. You know what I mean? Okay. Um. That's the role of them. Then you, you had the queen who would be right on the side of the chief or right in front of the chief. And then you had a second chief and a third chief, you know what I mean, depending on how big the tribe was. Um, and then if that other tribe was coming, the spy boy meet the spy boy, the flag boy meet the flag boy. Everybody's singing, dance, and then they open up and then they get to the chief. And then the chief, the two chiefs meet. And then... They say what they're going to say to each other. You're pretty, you're pretty. Good to see you, wah, wah, wah. And then we move, and then the, they'll meet the second chief and the third chief. And then, then the tribe move on. Spy boy going to pull the tribe okay. to wherever. Because the chief going to tell me which way he want to go. He's going to tell me up front. Okay. We're going Robertson to, to Villery, <clears throat> Villery to Robertson to St. Bernard, St. Bernard to Claiborne. Clebon to Orleans. And and how in a day, how how far do y'all y'all was walking back then? Oh man. Well, it seemed like a hundred miles. Because <laughs> what you. what you had going was, in most cases, you've been up two or three days trying to get this thing finished. Trying to get the suit finished. Right, trying to get the suit finished. And then depending on uh how smart you were, you were you were able to make this thing lighter. But how dumb you was, you made this thing heavy. So now you suffer from sleep deprivation and you carrying this weight and you know, so it gets to be you know, it, it gets to be a bit. Yeah, it gets to be a bit. And then, you know, you didn't did all this work. Sometimes you find yourself if we stop too long, you're standing up sleeping on your feet. Yeah, you. St I just stood up sleeping, st straight up. Yeah, but, but I tell everybody, you know, um, I um, I cherish those days, and uh, and and I think the thing that I cherish about them the most was that I understood the historical perspective, and I understood it was a, a means to give back to my community, and um, and and more importantly. It, it allowed me to play a part in the African contention. But as time go by, what makes that work is the people, the people you're doing it with. When you have people of, 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 of good value and of decency and order, then it's a beautiful pageantry. Mm -hmm. But when you have people who are just doing crazy shit, then that makes this thing become real ugly and it makes hmm. people become afraid of it. Now, did y'all, did, did you ever think Tootie Montana would be a legend in New Orleans? Oh, we knew he was a legend. Oh yeah, dude was a, even that did. He was so, the chief, so he was the chief. In the city. He was the chief. For us, he was the chief. There was no other chief. I met 17 years with him. When I finished, I had even had an inkling about masking with nobody else. It wasn't even a thought. And he done it all of his life. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He all of his life. He was masking. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. 50 plus years. Yeah. And that's a lot of work, man. Now, you know, I would be remiss because I, I didn't get to know his first wife, but I certainly got to know his second wife was Miss Joyce. And when they say behind every good man is a good woman, mm. she was a good woman. She would so, and, and see, Chief, Chief was one of these guys, he was very disciplined. He'd so so many hours a night, he'd go to bed, he'd get up five o'clock in the morning, you know, get ready to go to work. He'd be to work for seven. What kind of work did he, he do? Was a, he was a, um, a laterer where they frame up buildings and frame up rooms with, with, this, with this iron. So in all of his work was a, a tape measure, a ruler, a level, a square. Duh. Yeah, so he yeah. was mathematics Duh. like you would not believe. Yeah, he was mathematics. I mean, yeah, you give him, you give him, a, you give him a ruler and a piece of cardboard, he'll create all kind of stuff. You draw it, cut it out, put it together, and you'd be like, wow. And he, you know, while he's doing it, you're looking at all these pieces like, damn, where this is going? But when he finished. You got something like you couldn't believe. So he was a true artist in more, in more ways than you could imagine. That's why we call him chief. Yeah, you can't, everybody, everybody who say they're a chief, they're not a chief. You got to have, you got to have chief. Leadership, true leadership. Behavior, quality. discipline, because what you do is, as a chief, you set a standard. Yeah, you set a standard. He said, let's he, go. He led by example. Yeah, yeah he led by example. So... And, and, in, and his example was the completion of his suit. So you saw, not only did he speak it, but he did it. A lot of people speak it, but they can't deliver it. Well, he spoke it, and then he backed it up by producing it. And that was a great example for you, because oh, you're, yeah. you're a businessman right now yeah. in the city of New Orleans. Mm -hmm because of those disciplines that you receive and the coaching. As, as I said yesterday, making a Mardi Gras Indian suit is by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life with the exception of burying my dead because it requires a discipline like you would not believe. You can't talk your way through this. It's kind of, it's kind of like working out. You can't talk your way through a workout. You can't talk your way through, a, a, you know, a, ri a, a workout ritual. Well, you can, but you, it, it ain't going to get nothing done. You, you can't. Yeah. You can't. Because your body going to show what you're saying yeah, is not what you're doing. Right, right. See what I'm saying? So when I tell you, you got to sit there, your, your whole life gets reconstructed. Yeah, your whole life get reconstructed because, because all of what you got to do has to do with time. And you can't play with time. You can't stop time. You can't start time. You can't tell time to wait. See what I'm saying? Because what we know is the sun going to set and the sun going to rise. Right? right? And that's going to be another day. The moon going to come up. The sun going to set. The sun gonna rise, and the hand on the clock 
no matter how tragic whatever we're doing, as, as Roberta Flack said, business goes on as usual. It don't stop. It do not stop. In, in the business I do here, I teach and train first-time homebuyers how to become homeowners. 36 years at it. And I say to them... What's the name of the business? New Orleans Neighbor Development Foundation. Off of Rampart. Yeah, now, on, on Rampart. Copy and see Fred Johnson. Rampart and Martin Luther King. So I tell my, my clients, uh, create your box. And until you get situated in your new house, every item that you have pertaining to your purchase, put it in the box. The mortgage, the homeowner's insurance, uh, the, you name it, put it in the box. In fact, if you're gonna start making some, some changes on the house, if you buy dirt, hold a receipt. Sod, hold a receipt. Grass, hold a receipt. Paint, toilets, whatever. Hold all the receipts, put it in the box. Separate it from everything else. So, for multiple reasons. One, if something happens to you and something can happen to us, you take your oldest child or your wife if you're married and you say, if something happens to me, go get this box. Now, not only do I want you to go get this box, let me tell you who not to give this box to. Because wherever there's a carcass, there's going to be buzzards. Got me? Why you, why, why you put it like that first? Because that's the reality of it. Okay. I've buried enough people to know when dead come, folks start creeping around looking for what they're going to get or what they're going to take. So the buzzard shows up. The buzzard shows up. Oh, Lord. There's a carcass. The buzzard don't show up without a carcass because why? The, the buzzard wants to pick off the okay. carcass. So in my, in my work, I tell them that's what you want to do. And then you hold all these receipts. If nothing bad happened and it's time to go to file your taxes, you take all of this information to your tax person and let them tell you what is and what isn't an allowable deduction because the tax laws swing left and right, right and left. So don't make no assumptions. But you, what I want you to understand is buying this house, you're in a business. And the business that you're in is to build equity, to pass on to your children so that when you pass, you leave them better than your parents left you because each generation is, is to exceed that which you come from. And wealth in America, as we know it, is passed through real estate. So it's not for everybody, but for those that want it, we create a 12-hour homebuyer training program that teaches you rights, responsibilities, and privileges of home ownership. And what I say to most of my female head of household client base is that when you go home tonight, you, you look at the table in the kitchen area where you feed your children. When you bed them, look at that bathroom. When you put them to bed, look at that bedroom. And tell me if you want to improve that or you want that to stay status quo. Because what I'm talking to you about you're just a caretaker. You're preparing this to pass on to them because each generation should exceed that which it come from. That is a show way. We're going to educate our children. We're going to encourage them to get a trade. We're going to encourage them to do all sorts of things. But if you got a mortgage, 
that's another way to assure that you're going to leave them something. Because as long as you're paying rent, the landlord's foot is going to be on your neck. You will always be at the mercy of the landlord, no matter how good you pay or how long you've been there. At any given time, that script can flip. Daddy give the property to the daughter. you paying $400. Daughter decides they want to travel to Europe and Africa and Asia. Well, they want this house to pay for it. That $400 payment just went to $1,000. And then you get to say, well, when I was renting from your dad, well, ma'am, sorry, that, that was between you and my dad. I'm not my dad. I need $600 more on this rent. See how that go? So what, what you're going to do? Either you're going to pay the $1,000 or you're going to have to get out. The, I tell people you get a temporary space and a dead-end receipt. Dead-end receipt is because you can't file your rent receipt on your tax return. So, again, I don't make anybody do anything. I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a real estate broker. Uh, I get paid if they buy a house. I get paid if they don't buy a house. My job is to educate, insight, excite, stimulate, motivate, so you can understand you're paying a mortgage, but you're not paying it for yourself. And the difference in a mortgage and the difference in a rent, a mortgage has an alpha and an omega, a beginning and an end. 30 years, 360, 359, 358, 357, 356. A rent has an alpha, but it doesn't have an omega. Alpha is the beginning, omega is the end. Rent go on and on, and in every city in America, what we've come to experience is not only did it go on, but it went on and it went up. And steady going. And the quality of the unit didn't get no better. So when I stopped masking Indian, after 17 years, I came into this business here. A friend of mine, Rudy Lombard, said, man, I need you to come help me do something. And he picked me to do this. And at that point, I stopped all my, all my cultural stuff because I wanted to make sure that I can do this. I came into this business 36 years ago. I couldn't spell mortgage. But I knew my parents, my, my, my dad had just died, and my mom was in the Florida project, and I wanted to get her out that project. I didn't know how. I, I had been saying that all my life. Mom, I'm going to move you out this project. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but what man have in mind, God have something else in mind. So I just stood true to what I was saying, and then I fell into this. Well, that allowed me to uh, buy a lot, subdivide it, and build a double house and move my mom out the project into the other half of the house. It, it becomes a question of, of what I always say is, is I try to, I try to pay attention to where God want me to be. It's called, it's called, it, it's called rhythm. It's called the rhythm of life. And you just got to find your rhythm and know that you're doing something that's worthwhile. And it ain't always got to be about you. It ain't always got to be about money. Now, let's be clear. I don't volunteer here. 
right? Yeah. Because as the Bible said, man don't work, he don't eat. So, but my job is, is to make sure I help people to get the landlord foot off their neck and to build an asset. It's a small poquito way of breaking the back on poverty. In New Orleans, for a city that's bringing so much, you know, uh, matter of fact, many come to this city for our culture. Well, our New, New Orleans is a tourist town. Yeah. It's a tourist town, and that but the, that but creates the, a problem. Yeah, because the African people are not the beneficiary no. of none of hardly any of this. Slow, and, and if we are, if we are, we not, we not at the. We're not punching above our weight with respects to the amount of money that comes in and out of here. You know what I mean? We may we may be making some money, but on a on a on a large scale, we're not making any money. And in some respects, um, this town kind of educates folks to be waiters and waitresses. Not, and, and that's I, not and that's and, not a bad thing. And the hospitality, right? But not to be the the owner. The owner. Not know. to be the owner. Yeah. Yeah. Serve service in. Right. right. But you know, even when you when you spoke about the 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 power and the beauty, the energy and the money spent as Mardi Gras Indians, mm -hmm. the equipment, the, the the material you have to purchase as a Mardi Gras Indian, none of none of you all even own a company to buy it from. Well, you got to understand, when you talk about the supply chain, where is it made? It's made in China. 99.9% .9 of that stuff, with, with a few exceptions, you know, um, is somewhere in China, Europe. I mean, but even it's made uh, in China, uh, Asia, you, but, but to be the, be the middle person and buy it and sell it to, your, you to the people, that, that still is opportunity. Yes, sir. Because somebody got to get it here from China. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what's what's happening on that end? Money, wherewithal, and you know, you got to have somebody who's got enough money that don't put them in a poorhouse that they can buy the stock and warehouse it and wait to sell it because that's a slow turn. Okay, now, an average Indian suit, what what you think of use a gift? Well. Well, today I, I, I heard that conversation yesterday, and let me tell you something. I, I don't, I don't know how you give that figure, and let me tell you why. You can you can count all the beads, all the sewing, all the beads, all the feathers, all the stones, all the pearls, because you're gonna get a receipt for that. Let me tell you what you're not gonna get a receipt for. You're not gonna get a receipt for all the nights that you lost sleep. Now, how you calculate that, I don't know. So, so my deal is, my deal is, if I'm an Indian and it comes to me having to negotiate with you about a suit, my deal is, is that I can lease you this suit, but I can't sell you this suit. I'm going to keep the owner rights in it. Now, I'll lease it to you. You can move it all around the world. And then that lease is going to spell out the various terms and conditions. Because I don't want to sell you the suit. <clears throat> you take the suit to Taiwan or someplace else, and then mass produce it. 
you give me $50,000, you give me $100,000. They take that suit to Taiwan or one of these little Asiatic countries and they mass produce it, make a good representation of it. And then they turn around and cut a deal where they put it in every airport in the world. So what that $100,000 bought you? That's where we go back to the envelope and the gate, right? Folks don't know, uh, you know, net and gross. See what I'm saying? So I made $100,000, but what did you gross on this? It's 36 years since I masked Indian. And when I go around, the cats relate to me as an old-time Indian. Um, and, and what I've learned is, is because the mentality has changed, I just tell everybody you're pretty and oh, just step yeah. back. Because they, 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 don't, they don't want to hear anything else anyway. I, but I don't need to tell them nothing else. You know what I mean? Hey, bro, you, if that's what you did, if, that's what you, if, if you feel that in your heart and in your soul and in your psyche, hey, bro, you're pretty. Go ahead. I ain't going to stand up there and tell you, bro, that's a piece of shit. I ain't going to do that. Okay, then. No. I mean, why? I mean, you want to encourage him too, though, right? Yeah, but it, 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 it don't work like that. It don't work like that because that could create a conflict. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that could create a conflict. So rather than me creating a conflict, hey, bro, do you. That's what you want to do. Now, if I was masking, I wouldn't do that. But I can't tell you what to do. That's your money, that's your time, that's your effort, that's your energy, that's your vision. If that's what you see for yourself, I, I, I get it. But that, that is not what I would do for Fred. Now, now how did the, you talked about the Super Sunday. Tell, tell us about the Super Sunday. How did that come about? Well, what the, about? The, the Super Sunday came as a result of uh, Jerome Smith at Tambourine Fan when we was organizing to pull all the Indians together so we'd have something that takes us past St. Joseph Night. Because St. Joseph Night, you know, they had the St. Joseph altar from the Catholics and the Indians got tied to masking with lanterns and lights that night, right? Well, St. Joseph would be on a Sunday and we would start at Shakespeare Park and come down to Hunters Field or start at uh, the bayou, at Orleans in the bayou, it come to Hunter Field. And what it did was it gave, it gave the citizens from all over who didn't get to see the Indians on Mardi Gras, they could line up and see them. Or they didn't get to see them on St. Joseph, they could line up and see them. It just gave, it, it gave the, the viewing audience, if they so choose to, another opportunity to see and engage. And it, and it, was, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Because yeah. you had tribes from all over. You'd had 15, 20 tribes. So how, how long ago that started? Oh, that was back in the 80s. And it's still going on. Yeah, but it, it's not, it's, you know, things change. Jerome is no longer doing it. Tamarina Fan is no longer doing it. So you got different people who tried to imitated, uh, it's, not, it's not of that same standard. So Jerome Smith, was, he was a he was mask too? No, Jerome he, Smith was a, was a, Jerome grew up, Jer, Jerome and, and <coughs> Tootie's, one of Tootie's sons, Booby, were good friends. And Jerome had, 
was always attracted to the, the Mardi Gras Indian suit with Tootie. So Jerome would always hang around Tootie from a young boy and, you know, eventually their relationship just grew. And as, as Jerome left to go in the Civil Rights Movement and Corps, he'd always make his way back to support the Indians on Mardi Gras. And then he masked his kids, you know, and he was always a good supporter, a strong supporter of Tootie and the Yellow Pocahontas. So that, that's how that went. And mm -hmm. then he brought in guys like Rudy Lombard. And because we had this whole thing called Tambourine and Fan, which, is a, which was an education and cultural center, and inside that is where we created the Bucket Men, which was the fourth division, one, two, three, three divisions of, of bands and music and men and children. Um, and then we, you know, Tootie was a part of those divisions because I was in a division with Tootie and his brother Edward uh, in the first division. So it was all kind of inter, intertwined and interconnected. But, but, but more, more importantly, in, engaging the young people yeah. in the community. Well, in the Tamarina fans at, <laughs> at that time, um, heroin was the dope of the day and, you know, it, the, the, the thing was to create as much activity for the kids ages 4 through 14 so that they didn't have time to get connected or get drawn into the drugs. So we had football, baseball, basketball, reading, writing, math, history, all kinds of programs like that. You know? So, you know, like I said, I, I, at, at this point in my life, you know, 68, soon to be 69, I don't have no regrets, man. When is your birthday? December 27th. I mean, Capricorn. Yeah, December, like December 27th. Yeah, that's a leadership um, quality. Yeah. Um, Might be a little, little hard-headed, but you, you lead it, though. Yeah, well, you can't bullshit me. You know what I mean? I, 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 I'm going to listen to you, but you better make sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't piss on me and tell me it's rain. Okay, then. No, okay, no, no, okay. no, no, that ain't happening, that ain't happening. But I, I learned something from you yesterday, too. You're going to speak truth to power. Well, let me just say this. All of what I'm talking about, I didn't make any of this. I come here and found it like this. I'm, I just happen to be a vessel that don't have a problem with speaking to it. And I guess a lot of people don't speak to it because they don't want to make nobody mad and or they don't feel grounded enough in themselves about the subject matter. But listen, it's all historically laid out. Now, you may have to do a little digging to find it, but once you start digging, you'll see I ain't created this. Um, you know, all of this was here when I, when I come here. And it's going to be here when I'm gone. <laughs> so, you know, that's just how life is, man. I hope I get, I hope, I hope you got what you need, bro. Oh, no, I got more than what I mean. I, right. I'm just so grateful that you, you took the time. To do but something. you didn't know me. didn't know nothing about me. Right. It didn't even really, I mean, you asked a few questions. Right. But you thought right. enough of me to right. say, yeah, brother, I'll do that for yeah. with you. Well, yeah. if, you, if you're interested in listening to me, then I ought to be interested in talking to you. But a lot yeah. of people don't feel that way. Yeah, well, so that was a blessing to me. You yeah, didn't know zero you. about me. I got you, So brother. to me, that's an honor Well, I, and a I blessing. Hope, I hope this conversation um, <clears throat> enlarges your podcast.
Uh, it, it will, cause yeah. just because I, I had the, the one and only Fred Johnson. <laughs> and I'd like to say, Fred, thank you and, uh, you're for welcome, being part brother. of Count Time. We appreciate you. You're brother. welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, man. Yeah. Man can shackle the hands. The man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.